Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and it's back to Florida this week for a conversation with Amy Perino, the laboratory manager at Florida Avenue Brewing Company. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. Listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. Go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Few bucks goes a long way to help keep the content fresh and to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. If you plan on being in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, you also need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It's going to happen on Friday, September 22nd, and it's bringing together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pints for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible. It's packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers the brewers hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It's a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. And you can get a look at the beer list and find more information, including tickets, at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just 200 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and a program. Importantly, the money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, and it also includes a free health screening before the event. It's a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. During the Florida Brewers Guild Conference a few weeks ago, I had a chance to meet a lot of dedicated professionals and folks working to bring deeper meaning to beer. One such person is Amy Prino. She's the laboratory manager at Florida Avenue Brewing. And at the brewery, she combines her expertise as a microbiologist and advanced Cicerone to ensure the production of top quality beers and to elevate the overall beer experience for consumers. She's a beer judge and a Siebel Institute sensory trained professional. She offers classes on beer and food pairing and works with local breweries to curate their menu pairing options. She's also in the process of writing a book on beer and food pairing culture around the world. And we're going to get into all of that and more. Here's our conversation. Um, I want to start with Beer Week because I've always enjoyed when those come together. Yeah. And they've gotten so big and then small again during COVID and now everybody's sort of figuring out what the future of these large sprawling events are. Yeah. What's the latest with Tampa and like, how are you all like figuring it out right now? So I joined the board for the first full year after COVID and the, the first, first year of those events, you definitely saw some of that, that lagging sort of crowd um, coming through, ticket sales and stuff like that. However, as as things have progressed and it's uh, COVID's now the before times. It's it's we're in a, a whole new whole new renaissance. Yeah. Um, things have have come back around, and we we have our our next big event coming, our halfway there, and we've seen compared to last year just like a complete spike. So it's been really interesting to watch the community like come back together. And I, I did read an article recently about, uh, I can't remember where it was posted, but about the, the death of beer festivals. 
Did, this, did you this see art, that? This article is, is, has come up now on the show yeah. a couple of times. Uh, uh, yeah, it was John Frank and Axios. Okay. So uh, that was very cynical for me because I, I don't see the beer festival dying completely anytime soon. I do see things kind of pivoting, needing to offer more amenities, offer more things to draw crowds. Um, and that's so, kind of what Tampa Bay Beer Week is doing right now. So what are good examples of that, right? Because everybody's trying to struggle to figure out, like, well, how do we get the bodies in? Or how do we remind yeah. people that this is fun because it's come, it's become commonplace? Or it's something that, you know, people kind of go through the motions on. So like, what have you found that's working right now? I think involving actual brewers and people who work in the brewery versus reps has been a big draw because people kind of want to know it's it's kind of like a farm to table thing they want to know where they're what they're consuming is coming from so if they can talk directly to somebody who's made a product that that definitely garners interest and that's something that we've been trying to do with Tampa Bay Beer Week and our halfway there event is bring those uh, like create that face-to-face kind of interaction yeah that's cool that's I it 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 does strike me that for a while we were at this point where, I don't know, everything kind of got, it was so big yeah. that it was tough to sort of make those personal connections that maybe you were able to do in the very early days when yeah. it was smaller, it was easier. Yeah, you would just show up and there would be a volunteer pouring. You you could, you most of the time wouldn't even get an answer about what beer you were drinking. Yeah. It's like, this is the brown one, this is the pink one. Um, go for it. <laughs> Um, oh, that's cool. So when is the halfway there event? So it's going to be August 26th. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So exactly, I think a month from today. Is today the 26th? Maybe. See, there's 26th. Yeah, I think today's the 26th. Okay. Yeah. So a month away from. Yeah. All right. Well, this will air before then. So people have a chance oh, wonderful. to yeah. get to Tampa um, for that. So that's the public facing side. You spend a lot of time in the lab. I do. I'm, I'm a lone island. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you... Uh, I mean, I, I talk to brewers a lot, you know, I'll talk to you know, owners, I'll talk to, you know, and, and you kind of get a sense of what their days are like. Yeah. Um, whenever I do brewery tours, it's always a very quick, you know, oh, and that's the lab. Like, yeah. That's Amy. <laughs> Say hi, Amy, from behind the glass kind of thing. And then, you know, like, yeah. we're, we're shuttled off. Yeah, yeah, we're shuttled off to, to, to another place kind of thing. And, um, but I'm always like more curious, yeah. but I'm also, I should never be in a sterile environment <laughs> or around, you know, beakers or things yeah. like I'm just, I'm, I'm clumsy. So what is a day like? What is, what is the job? So my job, um, it's quality control, quality assurance. So I, I start relatively early, um, around, around the time that they're, they're sort of milling in. I show up, I go and I check the tank, the, the temperature in every tank. So First thing I do, walk in, look at my tank temps because I'll know if something's off. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I gather sample tubes. I pull a sample from every every tank that's actively fermenting. Okay. And I run dailies on those, which for me, I I'm lucky. I'm not using a hydrometer. I have a fancy <laughs> a fancy machine, but I still have to spin down my samples put them through the machine where I get the ABV, the gravity, pH, and I, I also get calories on it. I use that same machine when I'm um, right before our beer goes into cans. So we know everything to the to the exact number to give the TTB. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is important. Yeah. It is. It is. 
Um, outside of that, I run cell counts daily to see where our, um, where our fermentation is at and just to check the, the health of our yeast because we want to try and extend the life of that as long as we can. And watching your cell counts, you, you can see when fermentation is ending. You can see if there's an issue and you can see if you can repitch that yeast. Um, if there's an issue, we can run PCR. Thankfully, there hasn't been anything <laughs> in a very long time. Um, I do sensory panels, so I keep a library of beer for a year. I keep some in cold storage and some in warm storage, and I'll randomly pull beers from from throughout the past year, taste them with a group of people. I have they all have an app on their phone that we we not communicate with or through, but an app that they can. Um, just put their opinions, sensory information in. It's Draft Lab. A lot of people use it. It's sure. pretty, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great app. Um, besides that, I, I kind of live in spreadsheets. <laughs> um, I actually, before I fell into beer, I was in graduate school for public health epidemiology, and I didn't, I didn't really like it that much because it was so much, uh, there was so much statistics. Like, I was, I was in deep in, in Excel, and here I am. <laughs> are there any correlations between your area of study and where you are now? Um, I, I went to school for microbiology. So, okay, so yeah. 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 Um, I actually, when I fell in, I'll say fell into beer, I was homebrewing for years while I was even in college. But I fell into beer because I, I took a bartending job at Brewbus when it first opened, um, which, is Florida Ave, which is Florida Ave. Yeah. yeah. And um, while I w- that was while I was in graduate school. And while I was there, I was just like, you know what? I think I want to. I want to make this a career. So I, I stuck with the company and built this lab out. Like, that's cool. That's that's what I wanted. So it's very much a lab to your specification. Like oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is this is my my little baby. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So in talking about the numbers and cell counts and 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 all of that, I hear. Yeah, that's common, right? There, yeah. There's a lot of brewers. You brought up calories um, yeah. in beer, which I know that there's a lot of breweries that are now putting it out there. They might have known yeah. the information before, but it was never yeah. you know, really discussed because if, if you know that Bigfoot has oh you know, like 700 calories per can or yeah. something like that, it's, it's going to... Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going to freak you out or a little bit. Your average IPA is sitting at like 250, 300. Is that where it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's... That's, it's a doozy. That's that's like if you're at like seven yeah. seven and a half percent somewhere around there. Yeah. Suddenly, my life makes a lot more sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, tell me a little bit more about the the, the clerk, uh, you know, intake like of, of of monitoring that, and are you all putting it out there to the consumers now? For our core beers, we have it on our sales sheets. Okay. Um, and I believe it's on a couple of the cans. And it's always the ones that are lower calorie. Sure. And I think that's, you're trying to pull back some of that seltzer crowd that's left. Um, that's, at least in my opinion, sure. that's what we're trying to do. Because like, we have one beer that's, we advertise it as a, a light beer. And to be a light beer, I think you have to be under 110 calories. Okay. Some, somewhere around there, 110, 120. Um, so we advertise it as a light beer. To do that, you have to submit the cal- calories to to the government, to the TTB. Um, but we put that on the can as well because people are like, oh, 
100, 104 calories. That's something that's, that's not that much more than a white claw. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Maybe 20 calories. At yeah. Most. Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of trying to claw back some of that market because there's a lot that's going away with, with seltzers and RTDs and stuff like that. By educating folks, drinkers, um, I think it makes them better drinkers. It oh, makes yes. all of us better drinkers, and then it encourages breweries to, to do better. You, you've put education at the forefront of your career, yes. it seems like, and you're um, not just you know, outward-facing, but inward-facing yes. as well. Um, in your opinion, what are breweries doing right education-wise, and where can they improve? I think that breweries that actively create a culture of learning and education and pursuing those those kind of next big things but making sure their employees are in the loop are doing it comp- like 100% correctly there are some breweries that are here at the conference where you see their entire staff here yeah or they brought their entire staff to the sensory uh, panel that happened on Monday that Tina did went through like 18 off flavors that's amazing like making it so that your employees are not only kind of encouraged to learn, but that you facilitate it. That's, that's uh, chef's kiss in my, my book. (laughs) Um, On the, on the flip side, there are, there are breweries, there are owners and managers and, and brewers who completely disregard any sort of educational opportunity because they already know it or think that they know it. Yeah. And that hubris I think could be like the chink in the armor that causes like not necessarily the downfall of our industry at all, but kind of just like gets it a little rusty, gives it a patina that we don't need. There's a lot of that these days. Though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's been a thread of conversation that I've been having here at this conference of the places that are making poor quality beer. Yeah. Um, and not trying to do anything about it, not yeah. striving to, to be better. And then it's guilt by association. It used to be the whole rising tide raises all yeah. boats kind of thing. But now it's like, you're going to drag us down into the dirt with. Yeah. Imagine that somebody's, you, you finally pull somebody away from, um, BJ's, BJ's uh, bar and grill or brew and grill. Oh the, yeah, a chain. are they still around? They are. But okay. you, you finally pull somebody away from that. They go to a, a proper craft brewery, and they get a diacetyl bomb. Yeah. Um, they don't really know what's wrong with it, but it's not good, and the, so they don't go back. They go back to their chain restaurant. They they go back to their their, not necessarily pedestrian beer, but their ma- their mass produced sure, um, beer of choice. And that even that goes further into craft breweries or just any sort of brewery that has an employee that's customer facing that is completely apathetic. Yeah. And so you ask them a question. You're like, oh, well, I I typically drink Bud Light. Do you have anything like that? Why do why would you drink that? Like and I've I've seen that I've experienced that because I go into breweries and I I ask questions. Sure. Because I want to know what's closest to this that you have as your core. And I remember going into a brewery once where that question was asked. It was like, you know, what do you have like a Miller Lite? And they offered up a, a blueberry Hefeweizen. Oh. And I was like, that is not yeah. even 
remotely close. And that's, that's um, like profiling almost. They're like, well, if you like that, then you probably like yeah, this other thing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was it, it wasn't rude. I, I don't think they meant it that way, yeah. but it was um, like if. if if it's your most approachable, that's also kind of weird or yeah. um, whatever it is. So um, so how do you all then approach education inside the brewery? Um, it's a lot. So we have a couple different ways that we've been doing it. Onboarding, everybody goes through the same slide deck. And then that has all of our, well, all the information about the brewing process. Um, and this I'll, is for everybody who comes through? Yes. Okay. So it's uh, not just kitchen folks staff, in the brewery? Okay. Yeah. Um, so all the information about the brewing staff or not brewing staff, uh, brewing process, core beers, food pairing ideas, like in the basics, because that's something I'm, I'm really into. Um, and then they sit down with the GM and go through the, the core beers. And from there, I have an open door policy. If anybody has any questions, they can come talk to me. I, I love just kind of putting out any sort of information that I've gleaned, I'll come back from this conference and talk to anybody about the things I've, I've learned. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are the two big things. We also have a, a sensory panel where we, we kind of pick people and weed people out to um, have multiple different departments going through our beer because it's important for sales to to be aware of not only what we're putting out, but the changes that we've made in, in our recipe development and stuff like that for, yeah. for any beer. How often are people taking you up on the open door policy? Um, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily often, but when it is, it's always a woman. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know what it is about it. I don't, I have no idea, but I'll have like front of house staff come up to my lab and ask me a question. If I'm sitting at the bar, somebody will hand me a beer and say, what do you think about this? Does it taste right? And then I'll go check the keg collar if it's wrong. Or, um, and then we have one other woman in production at the, at the brewery. She's in packaging. And every time they package a beer, she comes up with the beer and she's like, am I, am I tasting this? Is this right? I'm like, well, if you're tasting it, it is right. Cause yeah. taste is subjective. Yes. But I, I appreciate that every time that they package a beer, she comes up and she just wants to talk about what they packaged so that she can know what's going on. It's, it's very rare that one of my male brewers or cellarmen or anybody in the front of the house that's a dude pops up. Oh, man. Get and I better, don't, fellas. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe I'm intimidating. I'm not. I, I don't get that impression. Yeah. All. So it's... Uh, I am um, kind of secluded in my lab. It's not like the fish bowls of other labs. Okay. It's a closed door. Okay. And it says authorized personnel only. Sure. Even though I'm the personnel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> personnel of one. Yeah. Um, but no, asking the questions I, I, I think is so important. And it just, it, it does, I mean, as a journalist, like that's all yeah. I do is ask questions. And you know, there's so much that I don't know that I'm eager to learn. So it's, it's it, you know, that's fun for me. But... After you've done the onboarding, after you've gone through the slide deck, after mm-hmm. you've said, okay, we have an open door policy, it's not just then people are stuck in the wilderness, right? No. I mean, you're, you're continuously, like, yeah. you're running panels, you're running... And we also have, um, so Front of House has this uh, app.
app on their phone called Sling, okay. where they do their scheduling and all of that. But you can also send messages on it and post videos. So we started something called BrewTube. Okay. And anytime we release a new beer, for better or worse, they get my face in their phone <laughs> telling them like a quick 40, 40 second to one minute video, like, um, like kind of, I guess, an informational pop-up, like, oh, this is the beer, this is the style, this is some, a little bit of, like, of a fun fact, what it would pair best with, and then the, the basic like ABV and all of that. And we've noticed that if we do that, and especially if it's a beer that hasn't been selling, people are more likely to push that beer because they have a talking point for it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because we are a full-service restaurant as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been able to translate that into how well the beer moves by having those talking points, by having that, that touch yes, point? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, because, like, our front-of-house staff is probably about 50 people. Okay. And it's... That's significant. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult to know where all... And it's 50 people that maybe work two days a week. So it's difficult to know where they are all at at any given time on their knowledge. So having those little, those videos, I know that they're getting at least something and we can see it in the numbers. Like we had two beers that just weren't moving and they were about to code out. Made, those are the first two videos we actually made. Um, and those beers sold in the week. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because people were like, oh, this beer... If somebody orders um, the brew house salad, I know I can suggest this beer. And just customers also like having a knowledgeable staff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that apathy that you were talking about before, I mean, nothing is worse. I mean, there's a lot of things that are worse, but a few things uh, when I go to a brewery and it's just servers with a shrug or even the brewers who like if they don't want to be around the public but are forced to be and they're just kind of like i don't know i made it it's whatever you know it's like oh well it's been a hot day i don't want to be here yeah but if you're not jazzed about it like i'm you know it's gonna be tough for me to be we also have all of our staff within the first three months go through the cbs certified beer server for cicerone yes like they all they all do it so at least i know that if i say if i if i use a particular word with them or like if I bring up a style, they should have a basic knowledge because it kind of creates that like ubiquitous lexicon, Mm -hmm. um, whether or not they actually take it or somebody else takes it. That's, Oh, you're not. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm only laughing. I've probably told this story before, but I took it years ago, uh, after Ray Daniels created it and he was, you know, pushing me and pushing me. Um, and I took it really drunk one night. Um, (laughs) Uh, and like aced it and sent Ray a pretty passive aggressive note of like, yeah, like, <laughs> your test was too easy. I could barely <laughs> see the screen. And yeah, like, so I was like joking, but also yeah. like, like, come it on, is. man, like make it. Yeah. And, and Ray just responded with, um, that's nice. I have your hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Daniels. Um, so yeah, he bested me. Uh, yeah. Twice those on that those exams yeah. are like. I think that one kind of tricks people into saying, I could take the certified. Oh, no, there's no way in yeah. hell. There's it's, no way in hell. It's like yeah. this weird logarithmic scale. Like you, you, you jump from one and then it's like, and then going from that to advanced. And I haven't, I don't have my pants on for the master yet. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, I took one of the, the exams uh, just on a whim. Yeah. Uh, I was in Chicago. Mosher was doing it. 
uh, and Ray invited me to yeah. sit in, and I just like I my brain was leaking out of my, oh my ears, gosh. and I was like, oh, this is no like yeah. I, I just walked in off the street without yeah. any preparation everybody else is all very studious and I was yeah. like oh yeah no, this will be fine studying draft lines and draft systems beforehand yeah long um, draw um as far as sensory panels right mm-hmm. Ray, um, Randy was talking about this quite a bit in his keynote yesterday yes. and I feel like more and more breweries are, are doing the larger ones always do mm-hmm. um, and they're th- that's how you're getting better yeah. um, smaller breweries are sometimes just you know pouring off of the taps and tasting and making yeah. sure it's okay which is still good sure yeah. but there's deeper levels to it mm-hmm. um, what have you found sensory wise sensory panel wise that works for smaller breweries or that could work for smaller breweries so for a smaller brewery basically gathering a person so say say your brewery only has 10 employees gather them all together at least once go through your core beers maybe do an off flavor off flavor training and if you if you can't really pull off doing an off flavor training buying the spikes look at like your brewers guild or your local homebrew club they can bring you in on their off flavor trainings but do an off flavor training with your whole staff at least once and then from there kind of pick people that you you rely on and every time you put out a new beer from bright just taste it yeah to see where you're at um and with the off flavor training and with that first initial talk through beers, you know that they kind of have that basic basic knowledge to say, I'm getting a little DMS here. Or like, even even if they don't know the word, or DMS, the phrase, um, it's a little corny. Yeah. Like, is that normal? And you, you kind of need those reliable tasters, not somebody who's like slamming coffee and smoking. <laughs> yeah, that vape pen does not necessarily yeah. add to... Uh... And it's it's... It's so prevalent right now, and like every brew house I'm, I go to, I feel like somebody always has a vape pen like on the deck, <laughs> which is not safe either. <laughs> no, that's not. That's probably not a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, um, you brought up food pairings, which is something yes. that's near and dear to me. Um, and you, you said you've been giving a lot of thought to how what's on the plate is working with what's on the yes. glass. I'm sort of extrapolating yeah. out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, where is your creativity taking you in that arena these days? So my heart will always be in beer and cheese pairings. Um, I do a few a year for my brewery and for different organizations in, in Tampa. And that's, that's where I'm always kind of going to be. But outside of that, anytime I go to a restaurant, I kind of look for, I look at their, their draft list and look at their menu. And that's, that's how I pick what I'm eating. Okay. Um, beer first. Yeah. Okay. And from there... Um, it, it goes into my husband and I travel a lot and we, we always try and seek out like unique food, food situations. I'll say we were just in the Balkans and that was, that was a a wild time trying to find like, they're just emerging in the, the craft beer industry after years and years, decades of, of strife and turmoil, but finding beer and food pairings there in a place that's mostly wine was super interesting. Um, also, a lot of Michelin. We, we try and go to a Michelin star, at least at least every country that we're in that has one. Okay. And I've noticed that a lot more, and they're, they're wine tasting with the, the 
eight thirteen course meal that you're getting. Yeah, they'll include a beer. Interesting. I uh, we were in Italy last year and we went to um, Il Pagliaccio in Rome and they they had a Trappist. The Italian Trappist, um, Trey Fontaine, uh-huh. they had it on their, their wine pairing list. And I, I think that's, that's a super cool way that beer is kind of breaking into higher end food pairings. Yeah. Can we go back to cheese for a second? Yes. Because much like beer weeks, I feel like they were everywhere for a while, the yeah. beer and cheese pairings. And then that kind of died off even before COVID. Like it just yeah. wasn't, you know, it wasn't out there. Um, same thing with like the chocolate um, as well, which were always a little bit more difficult to, to, to yeah. get through. Um, most because people weren't eating the chocolate the right way. Um, <laughs> uh, Pete Slosberg is very big on saying you have to take a bite of the chocolate, let it melt in your mouth first. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm, and then drink the beer. That's how it should be for every, every food and beer pairing is bite first beer. Yes. That's how you're going to get the, the best reaction. Beer has this like natural scrubbing bubbles effect. Leaves, leaves you ready. Um, yes. Yeah. For folks who want to rediscover beer and cheese pairings or mm-hmm. to um, uh, get into it for the first time, what's, what's a couple of things that they should keep in mind that they should be thinking about when they're hitting up their, their local cheesemonger or even just the international yeah. aisle of the of the grocery store matching intensities is a big thing um so you there's you don't want one thing to overpower another so you're not going to pick like the smelliest blue cheese and a, a a nice crisp pilsner yeah like that blue cheese is gonna overwhelm your your pilsner yeah on the flip side you're not gonna pick a big barley wine and then like a a mozzarella Right. Because the, you want the you want the levels of both to be the same. Um, in pairings, wine pairings, they do the same thing. There's like three C's: um, complement, contrast, cut. Beer for cutting, um, you can look for alcohol or or bubbles, carbonation. Beer has the advantage there. There's always carbonation. Hopefully, even even in an English ale, there's always some carbonation. Yes. So. Um, you don't really have to worry about that when you're thinking about beer pairings, beer and food pairings, because you always have that cutting action. But complementing, looking for kind of resonating flavors is one way to go. So if it's a kind of a nutty cheddar, maybe a, a nice nutty brown ale will work because those are, those are resonating, complementing flavors. On the flip side, you can also contrast. And I look at that as like sweet and sour. Um, yeah, mostly mostly sweet and sour or salty and sweet just kind of things that w- shouldn't match like a a wendy's frosty and french fries but they somehow it do. works yeah <laughs> it works yeah um oh that's cool yeah um i hope people get back into it i haven't i haven't done it for a while yeah. either so i should during I should be um, about it. covid we actually did it once a month where people came to the brewery picked up a four pack and picked up cheese that we had to go and i did it virtually every that's month fun yeah it was it was nice. I, it was, it kept me sane. Yeah. Like I, I like um, interacting with people. Yeah. And if you're in the lab or if you're at your home because of COVID, you don't really have that inner interaction. Yeah. You're heavily involved in pink boots. I am. Um, 
what's going on with the organization these days? So I just I feel like I haven't checked in for yeah. a while. And- During the pandemic, we pivoted as an organization and opened up to all women and, and non-binary folks in the uh, in any fermented industry. So we uh, wine. We allowed wine, cider, kombucha, mead, spirits. Spirits are in are, okay. are able to be in pink boots now, and also adding that that non-binary aspect. Today, actually, there's there's a panel, uh, pink boots panel, and Tim Ogden, who owns Deviant Libation in Tampa. Um, they're they're our first nine, non-binary member, and they'll be speaking. Um, so it's that inclusivity of not only um, like all folks, but also all fermented industry or beverage industry um, industries has really opened up the floodgates for people to join the organization. Does that change the direction of the organization at all? No, we're still a a nonprofit organization focused on education and empowerment. So um, if, if nothing else, it, it bolsters it because there's more to learn and there's more, um, there's more people to empower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and strengthen numbers. Yeah. And, uh, the Florida chapter, we're, I think the third largest chapter in the world currently. Wow. Behind Australia and Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. it's like, like the game Republic of risk. Of Florida. Yeah. That's it's a game of risk. <laughs> Wow, Florida is going to attack the, <laughs> the Midwest and yeah. just sort of take it over. That's uh, um, that's terrifying. Please don't give Florida that idea. That no, that's no, okay oh my gosh, do. with the that's oh, uh, nobody tell Ron DeSantis. Yeah, that's uh, oh god, yeah, that's an option. I didn't know that we could play this like a game of risk. Um, oh, that's really cool though that it's that it's opened up. Um, yeah. you know, to all that. Have, have have you have you felt that there's been I, I don't know, new exchanges of ideas, new yes. exchanges of empowerment, like by getting to know these other yeah. industries. We actually, um, about a month ago now had a wine class for the first time. And that was, that was super interesting to see people who aren't usually into wine or involved in wine learning from, we had a, um, a sommelier. She, she went through four different wines with us. And there were, we had like three girls who had never had anything other than like, a house wine at Olive Garden. And they were just sure. super, super amped to learn, to learn about tasting because tasting wine is different than tasting beer. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so it, it was just definitely a, an exchange of new ideas. And we, we also, um, we did a coffee blend with King State because coffee is technically, it goes through a fermentation process. So we, we included that. We did a coffee blend, learned all about coffee and then released a coffee with King State, where the uh, part of the proceeds goes back to the Pink Boots organization. But it was for people to buy to to either drink as coffee or to make coffee beers with. That's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like those synergies that can exist. Yeah, in those, yeah. It's really nice because it it builds on one of the things I love about craft beer. What I think like kind of the ethos is is you you help out the little guy like you you're always helping your neighbor like if if cigar city's machine goes down in their lab they bring me their samples because we're they're not the little guy right but we're still friends we're all we're all in it together 
Are you calibrated for energy drinks? Is that... Uh, <laughs> that monster money sorry too soon yeah um <laughs> cutting deep yeah uh uh yeah no that's fine and, and florida has seemed to have a tight-knit community for a long time and yes. i know other states claim that yeah. a, 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 as well um have you seen it bolstered or emboldened in the last couple of years like did did, did covid strengthen I some th- of that bond? i think so um just because with COVID there were there were supply chain issues and everything like that, so you relied more heavily on the people that you knew. Say you didn't have any yeast to pitch, you could go to your neighbor and and get a pitch to put in, or your hops didn't come in. I know that we've we've had to use people like to to kind of get through a brew because we didn't have anything. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing can be said outside of just ingredients and brewing and kind of keeping tap rooms alive. I know for myself, at least, I started frequently frequenting as soon as I was able to all the smaller breweries that maybe I wouldn't have hit before because they needed it. We all needed it during COVID. Like yeah. Everybody was dead. Beer sales may have been up, but that didn't translate to actual tap room sales. Sure. And beer sales overall might keep the lights on for a little bit, but long term, you need people coming into your tasting room. Oh, yeah. I've been asking folks the green door question on the show for a while now, and it started during COVID where my wife and I were uh, rewatching The Good Place. Oh, and yeah. So in the final season, uh, they introduced the concept of the green door yeah. that you can walk through and be anywhere doing whatever you want to be yeah. doing. So if we had a green door on our plane of existence mm-hmm. and this conversation could ended, uh, end and you could walk through it and be at any pub or any brewery anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? Who would you like to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Okay. I would most likely be in a brewery in Cologne like near the cathedral. Yeah. Drinking a Kolsch, having Kolsch service. Just because I, I love I love Kolsch service. Yeah. Like there's nothing like those those tiny little stains. Like knocking them back. And I would I would be with my husband. Um he's he's the best drinking partner I, I could have, best person to explore with. Um and yeah, that that would be magical. Either there or right next door in Dusseldorf, having an alt beer. Sure. Yeah, alt beer is my favorite style of beer, but there's you something the magical only about Cologne. Who's ever said that? Yeah. Really? No, I don't know. That's yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something magical about that little Rhine River area and those hybrid beers. Oh, yeah. That's that's where I would be. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks no, for being on no, the show. No, no, thank this you week. for contacting me. Yeah. Yeah. What's a beer and food pairing that sticks out in your mind? Tell me about it. My email is John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the shop page, and can read great new content, as well as the archives going back to 1979. 
You can also follow All About Beer on all of the social media platforms at All About Beer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us. It's info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, we have that podcast channel. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. The BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And as for this show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.